This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Victory Laps. Remembering and celebrating success against socialists, leftists, and modernists. Today's episode of the Return to Order Moment is different from the previous 162 episodes that have been done since the first podcast on January 6, 2019. Our usual subject matter is social commentary from a traditional Catholic point of view. Occasionally, we vary that pace by inserting a piece on some other topic of interest to our audience. Today, we are bringing you success stories, which is the reason we have entitled this episode Victory Laps. Anyone who watches the so-called mainstream media can tell the left is losing and they know about it. As their position deteriorates, their language becomes more outrageous. They hope that the excess of words will convince both their enemies and followers that they are winning. Today, we present four examples of leftist loss to the forces, including the American TFP, that work to defend traditional values. In the first essay, Mr. Edward Benson considers the situation in Florida. The left pulled out all the stops to defeat what they called the Don't Say Gay Bill. Mr. Benson describes the result in his essay, The so-called Don't Say Gay Bill reveals leftist fears of spreading to other states. The Florida legislature has passed a new bill protecting the rights of parents of school students, even after progressives pulled out all the stops to defeat it. Leftists characterize the legislation as the Don't Say Gay Bill alluding to a supposed ban on any classroom discussion of homosexuality, even though that prohibition applies exclusively to children in kindergarten through third grade. The real name of the bill is the Parental Rights in Education Act, which accurately describes its purpose. The overwhelming success of the bill is making it a model for other states. Therefore, it is appropriate to examine it in some detail. This summary is a paraphrase. The bill's actual language is readily available on the Florida legislature's website. The new law specifically requires school systems to, one, notify parents if there is a change in the student's mental, emotional, or physical health, which changes the school services to the student. Two, reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding their children. And three, encourage and facilitate discussion between students and their parents about mental, emotional, or physical health issues. The law also contains several specific prohibitions. Under it, schools may not 1. Block parents' access to education and health records. 2. Prohibit school personnel from notifying parents about their children's health or well-being. 3. Encourage a student to withhold information from parents. 4. Discourage or prohibit parental involvement in critical decisions. And 5. Permit age-inappropriate instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity. As mentioned above, there are also specific prohibitions protecting children from kindergarten through third grade. This controversy is the most recent chapter of a sex education debate that originated in the 60s. One side consists of psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, counselors, and many teachers. 
They argue that children need professionally designed guidance that parents cannot possibly provide. Only one group stands against this impressive array of experts, the parents themselves. Unfortunately, it has always been challenging to transfer parents' concerns into effective political action. Many parents are quite willing to let the school take over these uncomfortable topics. Other parents, exhibiting the lack of morality associated with the sexual revolution, actually agree with the schools. Traditionally-minded parents willing to engage in fighting the process are the only defense left. Experts in the media usually mock such parents as prudish or repressive. However, the ground has recently shifted in favor of traditionally-minded parents. There are three reasons for this critical change. First, the COVID crisis focused parents' attention on the schools. This phenomenon has been thoroughly discussed elsewhere, so it requires little explanation here. Suffice it to say that so-called distance education revealed the dark side of school curricula to parents who did not like what they saw. Second, the progressives have become more blatant and radical in their positions. The depictions of illicit sexual activity have become more graphic, and that plays a role, as the current controversies over school library books confirms. In its radical shift, the left has become increasingly dismissive of the parental role. One example is the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, gender nonconforming, and questioning support guide published by and used in the Leon County, Tallahassee, Florida, schools. It contains the following. Question. A student has exhibited behavior in school, leading administrators or teachers to believe that the student is LGBTQ+. Should the parents or legal guardians be notified? Answer. No. Outing a student, especially to parents, can be very dangerous to the student's health and well-being. Some students are not able to be out at home because their parents are unaccepting of LGBTQ plus people out. As many as 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ plus, many of whom have been rejected by their families for being LGBTQ plus. Outing a student to their parents can literally make them homeless. Unquote. The message is that parents are both incompetent and dangerous. Finally, society has become more skeptical of these liberal experts, especially in light of the troubles during the summer of 2020 and their aftermath. The public health bureaucracy contradicted itself over COVID, but treated those who noted the contradictions as public enemies. Mayors and prosecutors in some of America's largest cities openly took the side of criminals. General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, condemned quote-unquote white rage in the military when he should have been directing an orderly withdrawal from Afghanistan. The liberal news media have also lost their credibility in recent years because they are more overt about their biases. As a result, 
far fewer people watch the major networks or read daily newspapers. Those who do are more skeptical than previous generations. There are also far more news outlets today that present other perspectives from a different set of experts who refute liberal myths. Indeed, the left made the battle over this bill a media battle, using all of the typical tools. One tool is to turn parents who are the victims of this abuse into intolerant aggressors. This tactic takes away the rights of parents to educate their children and endows the children with adult rights. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki engaged in this tactic and added character assassination. Quote, a bill that would discriminate against families, against kids, put these kids in the position of not getting the support they need at a time when that is exactly what they need is discriminatory. It is a form of bullying. It is horrific. I mean, the president has spoken to that. I think that the most important question is why are Florida leaders deciding that they need to discriminate against kids who are members of the LGBTQI community? What prompts them to do that? Is it meanness? Is it wanting kids to have a more difficult time in school, in their communities? Unquote. However, such tactics no longer sway the general public. The verbal assaults and innuendo that once carried the day are no longer effective. In response, the left becomes even more shrill, with the effect that their damaged credibility becomes even more suspect. As the general public grows more aware of the leftist methods, their tactics lose potency. Therein lies a great opportunity. Since about 1900, progressives in education have relied on the influence of these so-called experts. They supposedly know what is best for everyone else. That pseudo-experience was based on academic credentials. Society is beginning to see the fallacy behind that facade. The radical goals of the leftist experts are setting off alarm bells. It is time to reject this radical agenda and search for wise leaders. The Florida bill is a good beginning. May other states build upon its success. Another way in which leftists have displayed their outrageous tendencies is in their support of the so-called drag queen story hours. Heavily promoted by the American Library Association, these events encourage liberal parents to throw their small children into a pool of depravity, Ever since these dangerous events began, the American TFP has led public rosary rallies in front of the event venues. The success of these God-centered protests is described by Mr. John Horvat in his essay, How One Drag Storybook Hour Protests Change McLean, Virginia. Not much usually happens at the McLean Community Center in the affluent D.C. suburb in Northern Virginia. Its 11 elected non-salaried officials take care of the family-oriented activities offered to residents. The center is locally financed by a special resident tax that gives the neighbors a say in what happens there. This local touch ensured that nothing controversial ever happened at the place beyond its cultural events. At least not until June. The center's directors provoked the community by co-sponsoring a 
Drag Queen Book Hour for children with the community's library to celebrate the so-called Pride Month. The shocking program features men dressed as garish, painted women who read the LGBTQ-themed storybooks to preschool children. This program was so out of character for the center that it divided McLean. The locals were enraged by this unsolicited change of program thrust upon them. As the June event at the nearby library unfolded, a group of protesters prayed the rosary outside, deploring the events that attacked childhood innocence. Never underestimate the power of a single protest. Since that protest, nothing has been the same at the center. Subsequent meetings of the 11-member board featured residents expressing legitimate concern about the center's direction. For months, board members tried to ignore the complaints, and then residents did the only thing they could do. They organized to unseat the directors. This May, the normal blah election for three open seats has turned into a hotly contested race of nine candidates seeking to unseat them. Issues like these triggered the conservative electoral victory in 2021 in Virginia. Nobody's hiding anything. It's all about the story hour. Three candidates represent the conservative reaction, with well-known residents Sebastian and Catherine Gorka leading the charge. At the opposite end of the spectrum, the local Democratic Party committee is doubling down by presenting a three-candidate slate on a program called One Fairfax, taking the side of presumed equity and even more story hours. The provocative event might have slipped under the community's radar had it not been for the protest. The prayers appeared to have their effect. The affluent community of 50,000 tends to be liberal, but the drag queen storybook hours shocked many, leaving them mugged by reality. Many residents have fond memories of the center as the site of concerts, picnics, chocolate festivals, and other family-friendly community events. They cannot understand how men dressed as women performing in front of toddlers found their way into the center's program. The story hour is like a nightmare, imposing a repugnant ideology on the most vulnerable. With this event, the left brought the culture war to the community. It is not going away. Its partisans have now decided to die on this hill. Rather than surrender to the left, conservatives are standing their ground. They want the story hours and their promoters out. The protest lives on. The story hour controversy has riled up the political and cultural landscape all over the country. The appalling events have divided communities for and against. The issue has also split the right between the more libertarian wing who tolerate it as a regrettable expression of free speech, and the moral conservatives who believe the community has the right to defend itself against depravity. The story hours triggered the famous Saurabh Amari David French debate about fighting back against a decadent culture. The issue is far from settled. As in McLean, 
The drag queen story hours have mobilized protesters who appear wherever the events happen. The American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP, has held hundreds of protest rallies around the country. TFP members testifying at one well-attended local hearing heard a drag queen openly admit, quote, This is going to be the grooming of the next generation. We are trying to groom the next generation, unquote. The protests and debate have turned the issue into the cutting edge of the culture war. Librarians and cultural groomers had hoped that the events would enter the mainstream without controversy. However, protests have unmasked the story hours as acts of cultural terrorism that explode in peaceful communities unaccustomed to such shows of degeneracy. As a result of protests, some drag queen story hour promoters no longer publicize these events as they once did. They have taken to hiding them from the public like stolen goods. Thus, continuous prayerful protests take away their dynamism and lead to their defeat. Constant protests not only isolate the particularly obscene activity, but they also unmask the anti-Christian agenda that can always be found behind these events. In Houston, one figure was found to be a registered child sex offender, yet performed before children. When people get the whole picture of those attacking them, they react more vigorously. Many see that there is something evil about these presentations beyond official explanations. The trouble at the McLean Community Center illustrates what is happening all over America. The left is unmasking and showing its true face. It is desperately imposing its agenda on Americans regardless of the consequences. Issues like critical race theory, transgender bathroom wars, and increasingly radical forms of procured abortion are dividing America. The aggressiveness of the West shows in its agenda. The reaction at McLean proves that protest is possible and effective. All it takes to change everything is the courage of a small handful of determined residents. Listeners who hear of a drag queen story hour scheduled in their community are encouraged to contact the American TFP. We have banners, flyers, and other resources to help those who want to lead rosary rallies and speak out at community meetings. As you just heard, these methods are effective, but they require members of the community to make a stand. It is hard to imagine anything that would be more outrageous than a drag queen performing for small children. However, the Satanic Temple has accomplished just that. That organization has actively promoted Satan clubs in elementary schools across the nation. Fortunately, in most cases, parents hear about the Satanic activity and protest against the clubs. The American TFP has played a leading role in such protests. An excellent example took place recently in a small school district just north of York, Pennsylvania. The head of TFP Student Action, Mr. John Ritchie, told a tale in his essay, The School Board Says No to Satan Club in Elementary School. Satanism failed this time. On April 19, 2022, the Northern York School Board voted against allowing an after-school Satan club to operate at Northern Elementary School. 
The school board's 8-to-1 decision to protect the children from evil was received with applause by the local community. However, the Satanic Temple already retaliated with a lawsuit. Listeners can watch exclusive footage of the hearing on YouTube under the title Pro-God versus Pro-Satan Debate in School, Whose Side Are You On? The controversial proposal to open a pro-Satanic club at Northern Elementary sparked a major reaction among residents in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania. So many parents wanted to voice their concern that the school board meeting was moved to a larger auditorium at Northern High School to accommodate the unusual turnout. Once the floor was opened for public comment, dozens of God-fearing Americans stepped forward. They expressed a total rejection of the after-school Satan Club with great passion. Quote, I strongly oppose the after-school Satan Club sponsored by the Satanic Temple, said TFP Student Action Volunteer Evan Olwell. He continued, The Satanic Temple, which targets school children, describes itself as a non-theistic religion. However, a non-theistic religion is an oxymoron, a blatant contradiction. Satanism is not a religion, but rather an anti-religion because it is anti-God, unquote. TFP volunteers brought the Say No to the Satan Club signs to the meeting. In no time, meeting-goers snatched them up and displayed them around the auditorium. Hundreds of TFP flyers containing talking points against Satanism also spread among the crowd. Although a handful of Satanists attempted to explain the so-called benefits of a Satan club for children, their message fell flat and failed to persuade the school board. Anyone still on the fence about Satanism was startled when one of the mothers, Jackie Bieber, told the audience how her daughter was coaxed by a satanic group to commit suicide. Quote, They gave her step-by-step instructions, she said. After the tragic death of her daughter, the distraught mother moved with her remaining children to Dillsburg, hoping to find a better atmosphere for the family. However, her hopes were shattered when she heard about the proposed Satan club in the area. Quote, Now they're going to be subjected to evil, she said. They, the Satanists, talk about the violation of rights. But what about the violation of our children? Unquote. Nevertheless, pro-Satan advocates in the room insisted that the after-school Satan club would be harmless to children. But TFP volunteer Evan Olwell called them out. Quote, This revolutionary figure, Satan, is universally regarded throughout history as a tempter, liar, murderer, and thief, the embodiment of evil. Satan has no rights because evil has no rights. Some things should not be allowed in schools. For example, allowing a club for neo-Nazis would be wrong, and it would be wrong to allow a club for student drug dealers. Adults have to protect children from evil, not expose them to it. Having a program in school where Satan is invoked exposes every child, directly or indirectly, to real spiritual harm. 
The devil has no place in school, Olwell concluded. Not now, and not in the future, unquote. Those who tried to present the after-school Satan Club as nothing more than a cute attention grabber were confronted with facts. As the TFP handout points out, the satanic organization that sponsors after-school Satan Clubs is anti-God, anti-Christian, and anti-family. Dark rituals approved by the Satanic Temple include unbaptism, where the participants renounce the true faith, destruction ritual, where participants destroy an object they own that symbolizes a source of pain in their lives, which exorcists claim can often mean something like a crucifix or a Bible, defiance ritual, where a person pledges to challenge the status quo, and black mass, which celebrates blasphemy, sacrilege, and attacks God and the true Catholic Mass, frequently involving the desecration of a stolen, consecrated host. Right now, America has a choice to make. We can either remain with God, defend innocent children, and receive His countless blessings, or we can open the door to hell and allow Satan the father of lies, to come in and destroy us. We must fight to keep America one nation under God. The leftist influence is strong in American universities, where radicals often control the entire administration. Under the guise of so-called academic freedom, they have insulated themselves from public attack or influence. However, they have been quick to deny academic freedom to their more conservative colleagues. One such situation happened at Ohio Shawnee State University, where the administration took aim at a professor for exercising his Christian values. Their blatantly unjust attempt to deprive the professor of his livelihood just cost the university $400,000. Mr. Edwin Benson describes the professor's victory in his essay, An Ohio University Professor's Lawsuit Threatened to Bring the Whole Woke World to Its Knees. Around the nation, Christians cheer the pronoun victory of Professor Nicholas Merriweather over the woke Shawnee State University in Ohio. Leftists are just as loud in their denunciations. Like most schools, Shawnee State University has a mission statement designed to be both catchy and arrogant. Quote, We prepare today's students to succeed in tomorrow's world. Unquote. On April 18, 2022, one of the university's big lessons for today's students was accepting defeat without admitting it. It published the following statement. Quote, After four years of legislation, Shawnee State University made an economic decision to settle the Merriweather case. Though we have decided to settle, we adamantly deny that anyone at Shawnee State deprived Dr. Merriweather of his free speech rights or his rights to freely exercise his religion, unquote. Then the university justified spending four years and many dollars paying their attorneys on a case that would have been settled quickly before the current woke epidemic. Quote, In this case, 
Shawnee State followed its policy and federal law that protects students or any individual from bigotry and discrimination. We continue to stand behind a student's right to a discrimination-free learning environment, as well as the rights of faculty, visitors, students, and employees to freely express their ideas and beliefs. Over the course of this lawsuit, it became clear that the case was being used to advance divisive social and political agendas at a cost to the university and its students. That cost is better spent on fulfilling Shawnee State's mission of service to our students, families, and community, unquote. Unlike most lessons, the university paid the tuition for this one, estimated at $400,000. Nicholas Merriweather was no neophyte in the world of university politics. According to The Hill, he, quote, has been a fixture at Shawnee State for 25 years, serving in the Faculty Senate, designing the school's bachelor degree program in philosophy and religion, and taught classes ranging from ethics to the history of Christian thought. The professor summed up the central issue in a Fox News interview when the university announced the settlement. Quote, I believe that God created men and women, male and female. Also, the college classroom is to be a place of debate and discussion and freewheeling ideas. The university has no place in telling professors how they are to think with the students. It was a coercion of my freedom of speech. Unquote. The Alliance Defending Freedom represented Dr. Merriweather. Its chief counsel, Travis Burnham, was even more concise than the professor. Quote, Dr. Merriweather went out of his way to accommodate his students and treat them all with dignity and respect. Yet his university punished him because he wouldn't endorse an ideology that he believes is false. Unquote. The facts were simple. In class, Professor Merriweather asked a question of a student, whom the professor referred to as Mr. Bruning. After class, the student told the professor that he was a transgender and wanted to be referred to as a female. When the professor politely told the student that such usage would constitute a lie, the student became abusive and notified the university's administration. The administrators took the student's side, equating the professor's view to a, quote, hypothetical racist or sexist, unquote. Further transgressions of this sort, they warned, would result in punishments, including dismissal. The professor lodged a civil complaint in U.S. District Court and lost. He appealed to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, which ruled in favor of the professor and sent the case back to the district court. While waiting for the district court to implement the appeals court's opinion, the parties reached the $400,000 settlement. Woke ideologues were quick to predict disaster. Two days before the settlement announcement, Shaban Boyd Nelson of Equity, Ohio, told the Columbus Dispatch, If this case were to come out poorly, the implications are devastating, honestly, for young people on college campuses, unquote. Andrew Koppelman, 
the John Paul Stevens professor of law at Northwestern University, absurdly injected issues of race into this conflict between the white professor and his white student. Quote, The principle would apply equally to a professor who from time to time addressed African-American students by the N-word or who refused to call on an African-American students or who refused to call on women because he thought that neither of those groups ought to participate in class discussion, unquote. After the announcement, the same newspaper quoted Asaf Orr, senior staff attorney and director of the Transgender Youth Project at the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Quote, We believe his lawsuit should have been dismissed and would have failed had the case continued. Regardless of this settlement, Shawnee State's legal obligation to protect transgender students from discrimination remains intact. We remain committed to taking all necessary actions to safeguard the rights of transgender students at Shawnee State, unquote. Amir Vera, Jen Silva, and Claudia Dominguez of CNN darkly hinted that, quote, The ruling comes as schools across the nation grapple with balancing the inclusivity of transgender students and the religious beliefs of some teachers, unquote. Cable network MSN's article pointed out that, quote, The settlement comes amidst a wave of anti-transgender legislation in the United States, unquote. MSN also took pains to point out that the members of the Sixth Circuit Court Tribunal that ruled for the professor were all, quote, Republican appointees, with two having been nominated by Donald Trump, unquote. Deluded as they are, the leftists are correct about one thing. Cases like Nicholas Merriweather's are vitally important. They define the difference between truth and falsehood. If Mr. Bruning is a man, and all available scientific evidence, as opposed to the wishcraft of popular psychology, says that he is, then he should be referred to as such. Anything else is to give credence to a lie, no matter how popular that lie may be. Truth has never been a matter of popular opinion. The relativist world of the early 21st century holds that nothing is true for everyone. My truth and your truth, the relativist posits, could be very different. This is insidious work and should be rejected by all because it casts our Lord as a liar. Quote, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. See John chapter 14 verse 6. Notice that our Lord does not say, I have some truth. I see many truths, or I bring you truth. He says that he is the truth. Such a claim is exclusive. It means that everything he says is true. More than that, he says that nothing opposed to him could possibly be true. Today, 
Many pretend that they can create alternate truths and still get to heaven if they are kind and accept all people without question. Such people are deluding themselves. Cases like Nicholas Merriweather's remind them that truth is absolute. This concludes Victory Lapse, Remembering and Celebrating Success Against Socialists, Leftists, and Modernists. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family and Property, TF2022.